1: the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story that Dan Savage first shared on the podcast in February of 2020 2014. Here's Dan now with a story we call The Stranger.
2: Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) I don't know if any of you follow me on Instagram, but I'm Dan Savage on Instagram. It's the only App or social media thing I ever got to early enough to get my own fucking name. Um, So you could go there right now and look up the picture of me in drag. It's like six photographs back because it's slightly relevant. I fucked a couple of girls uh, in high school. That's shocking and inappropriate Um, at all sorts of levels. One of them, the girl to whom I lost my virginity, was my older brother Billy's girlfriend. Because if you're fucking girls just to convince your Irish Catholic family you're straight, you might as well fuck a girl that it's going to get back to your Irish family. <laughs> about yeah. But this story isn't about uh, the girls I fucked, this is about a uh, teenage boy I fucked. Um, and that's not something adult gay men are allowed to talk about, fucking teenage boys. It plays right into all the hoary stereotypes about gay men being predators and preying on teenage boys. Uh, But what's interesting about this teenage boy that I fucked is that he looked like a girl. Now, when I fucked girls, I would fuck a girl, and I would pretend that it was a guy. And I could do it. I could fuck a girl and come. It was just pretending that, you know, it's Keanu Reeves, it's Keanu Reeves, it's Keanu Reeves. With his head screwed on backwards, and his shoulder blades are dislocated. But I could do it. (coughs) Uh, Then I moved to Seattle. You know, I'm going to tell this story about fucking a teenage boy, and it's terrible because I'm now the uh, parent, the father of a teenage boy, and my position now is no one should ever fuck teenage boys ever. (laughs) But that was not my position when I was 27. I moved to Seattle. There were two things I did not know how to do when I arrived in Seattle. One of them was drag, and the other was type. uh, Which was really weird because I was moving to Seattle to work at a newspaper where I had to type a lot of things. Uh, And when I started my column, Savage Love, I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, but the newspaper I was writing for was in Seattle, so it didn't occur to me to take a pseudonym. I would just be Dan Savage, Savage Love. Uh, And then I moved here, which I hadn't been expecting to do, and the column was this huge hit in Seattle. I was only running in Seattle, just this huge thing. It was a sensation, and nobody knew what Dan Savage looked like. Somebody in Pike Place Market was selling t-shirts that said, I am Dan Savage, and people (laughs) were wearing them around. (laughs) I got here. And then after I got here, people started asking me to show up places, to do public events, to host political fundraisers, uh, to host Gay Bingo. And I wanted to go out and do these things, but I didn't want anyone to know what I looked like because I was beating the fuck out of people on my column. Someone would write me, and they'd be dumb, and I would mock them and just pound the shit out of them. And I didn't want that person to know what I looked like if I didn't know what they looked like. So when I started doing public appearances, I did them in drag. And I don't know how to do drag. I had a friend, Zora, she would put me in drag, paint my face, put a wig on my head, and shove me on stage. But I started doing a lot of drag. I did a lot of events. I had tons of drag. An apartment full of drag. Seven or eight wig heads with huge Zora wigs on them and all this drag on shelves. And then to learn how to type, which is something I had to learn how to do, I became the guy at The Stranger that entered all the personals. And I would sit there and I would just force myself to do this and type the personals all night long. But that meant I got to read every personal before it went into the paper. I got to see them first. And one of them came in, and it was a UW student who was into uniforms, and he said he had uniforms of his own, and domination. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of sexy. And he sounded kind of sexy in his description of himself. So I jumped on him first. (laughs) Because I had his phone number. Because everybody then had to include their phone numbers so we could confirm their ad. So I called him and said, I'm entering your ad right now, but I'd rather be entering you. (laughs) I'm sure I wasn't anywhere near that disgustingly slick. And I just said, I'm entering your ad, but I'd be up for this. And so we made it a a date, and he came over to my apartment. And this is where it gets really, (laughs) really fucking weird. Um, So this guy comes over to my apartment. And he enters carrying this big green duffel bag. And I open the door, and this is, you know, pre-internet. This is 22 years ago, 23 years ago. Uh, There's no internet, there's no, like, Craigslist hookups, there's no grinder, there's no people arriving at your door you haven't ever seen before. This is a new thing that I'm doing. And I've never really done this before, or since. And the door, I open the door, and he is stunningly gorgeous. He is half Asian, half Italian. He is fucking beautiful, this gorgeous pretty face, this shock of black hair, just beautiful slight pretty, like I like my men, and he comes in, he's got a duffel bag, and he excuses himself to go into the bathroom and put his uniform on, and 10 minutes later, I'm like, what the fuck is hanging on? 10 minutes later, he comes out of the bathroom, full Eric Estrada chips for Gallo. The boots up to here, the California Highway Patrol, tan pants with the stripes, the shirt everything. Handcuffs. Everything. The helmet. He's wearing the helmet. Everything. And one of the things he said he wanted to do was for me to take his handcuffs from him and handcuff him. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. I'll so I take his handcuffs from him, I handcuff him, and we start making out, and roughly, and I push him against the wall, and we're making out, and I open his shirt, and he has a bra on. I thought, hmm, where do I, what do I do with this? Uh, and I have a degree in theater. Um, we're all theater fags at The Stranger. That's why we, we have a whole sort of cadre of theater fags at The Stranger. We've all treated The Stranger as sort of kind of a performance art. And what I learned in improv is you never say no. Right? You just go with it. You say yes! And it's like, oh, a bra! Sure! Of course! Don't they all have bras on? And so, you know, I popped the helmet off his head because we'd been making out through the visor, which was giving me bruises on my bridge of my nose and my chin. But, and we're making out. and I'm like, you have got this brawn. And I'm like, So, you've got a brawn. That's awesome. He's like, Call me a bitch. You're a bitch with a And that's awesome. And you're still really, really fucking pretty. And we're making out and we're making out. And, you know, he's super hard and. We're rolling around, and then, you know, he's in my living room, handcuffed, we're making out, he's got his shirt open and his bra and he sees all the drag on the shelves uh, on the other side of the room. (laughs) This is where it starts to get really fucked up. (laughs) He asks me to put one of the wigs on him. And, improv everywhere, yes, of course. I pop the wing on his head. And what happens is he ends up getting completely out of his California Highway Patrol uniform. Boots off, pants off. He's got panties on that match his bra when the pants come down. And into my drag. So he's now got this giant, beautiful Zorro wig on. He's wearing his bra. I put a little canisole top of mine on. This tube top that I've been wearing as a skirt. Uh, I put on him, and these big high-heeled patent leather boots, that I still have, I wear them on Christmas morning every year. (laughs) And suddenly this person who, when he arrived, had been this very picture of sort of archetypical masculinity, is now a girl, and because he is Amerasian, because he's slight, because he's little and pretty, he's the prettiest girl I've ever made out with. Much prettier than my brother's girlfriend that I fucked when I was 15 and she was 22. (laughs) Now, all of this happened three blocks from here at the Dublin apartments. I had the basement apartment on the corner. Does anybody know anybody who lives in the Dublin or the basement apartment on the corner? about the double in the basement apartment on the corner that's so awesome and amazing the stairs you can all like walk over there after and confirm this just around the corner on thomas the apartment's here on the corner and there are stairs up to the first floor the other apartment's over here and that one bedroom apartment had a living room a bedroom and then when you opened the what looked like the closet door in the bedroom it was a secret cave that was just under the stairs this cement arch cave under the stairs and the guy who'd had that apartment before me had put mirrors against one wall in this cave and a hook in the ceiling. Ah! Right? <laughs> and so that was fine with me. It was the early 90s in Seattle. Everybody was into S&M then, um, as everyone is now. And so I had some rope and shit, and this kid is there and he's, he wants to be tied up. So I tie him up in Hawk time for a second. And then I think, God, oh, and he's so beautiful. And I go into the bathroom, and there's all his shit in his bag. And I think, oh, I'm going to take out his wallet and find out what his real name is. And I take out his wallet, and I find out he's 18. So a freshman at the UW. 18 and a half, officer. Almost 19, according to the ID. I'm famous for fishing the ID out of the pocket. Um, my husband, Terry, is right over there glaring at me for telling the story. <laughs> And uh the night we met, we like met at rebar, we fucked around, we went back to my apartment, fucked and kissed and dubbed stuff all night long, and in the morning he was taking a shower and I had to get his ID out of his wallet to because fu- I didn't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm in the bathroom with this kid's ID and I'm like, oh my god, he's eighteen, he's a teenager, and I was twenty-seven, so I was within a decade, but still I never fucked a teenager before. And I go back out there, and there's this hog-tied beautiful girl (laughs) on the floor of my apartment. So I untie him, and we're going around making out. And then he wants to go in the little room, because he saw the little room, and went to the little room. And then, like, five minutes later, he's got his hands over his head, just sort of tied up, staring at himself in the mirror. And he is transfixed by this image of himself as this beautiful girl. And he is stunningly gorgeous. He looks like a girl. He's the prettiest girl I've ever had sex with. And so, we ended up, and this is where it's so like, fucking weird. I fucked him in his ass, which was fine with him, it's what he wanted, condoms on, total er, early 90s, the way you're supposed to do it, and we should do it now. But I'm fucking him, and I have fucked girls before, and he's staring at himself in the mirror, right? And he's, I just like lifted his little pretty skirt and revealed his insanely pretty butt. Um, Pulled down his panties, and then took his panties off, and I'm fucking him in the ass. Um, I pitched this to Ira at This American Life, and he rejected it. (laughs) And I'm fucking him in the ass, and I'm fucking him in the ass, and I'm holding onto his tits, and his hands are tied over his head. And he's looking in the mirror, and he's saying, call me a bitch, call me a whore. You're a bitch, you're a whore. Improv, go with it. Yes, never say no. No, you are not a bitch. You can't say that in improv. You have to yes, yes, you're a bitch. Um, so I'm calling him a bitch and I'm fucking him in the ass, and he looks like a girl, and I'm staring at him, and he had, his legs were together, he was like this, and he had he had had me tuck his penis back, so now it looked like he had a vagina, it looked like he had a nice pussy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm fucking him in the ass, I'm holding his tits, which are actually my tits that I would wear when I was in drag, and fucking him in the ass, and he is staring at himself, and I am staring at him, and I am fucking him in the ass thinking, I can't believe my dick is hard. Because when I fucked girls, I had to clamp my eyes shut and think, counterfeits, counterfeits. Although, um, I wasn't thinking Keanu Reeves, it's just if I tell you who I was thinking, it really dates me, because it was so fucking long ago. This is for the old timers. When I fucked actual girls when I was 15, I was thinking, it's Lake Garrett, it's Lake Garrett. so fucked up. I'm like, fucking. This is like so perverse. Because when I fuck girls, I had to picture a guy, and here I am fucking a guy who is the picture of a girl. And it's so hot. It's so sexy. And I felt so straight for like five whole minutes. And I didn't feel straight at all when I was fucking actual girls. I felt even gayer fucking actual girls than I had before I fucked an actual girl. I felt fucking girls was like confirmation to me that I was totally gay. Like, oh, I can do this, but... I am so gay. Even when I'm doing this thing, vaginal intercourse, penis and vagina, I am the gayest PIVer ever. But at this moment, I'm in a boy's ass, but I am thinking, this is the hottest straight sex I've ever had. <laughs> and then, the inevitable. Um, I, uh, came. And then he came. And boy, did he come. I hadn't seen someone shoot that far since the Challenger exploded. <laughs> ever had sex with somebody who is just beginning to explore their kinks, although he had invested at least $500 in his gear, knows what happened next. You could just see him shutting down. The shame and the the, wash over where he sees you seeing him and you know him in a way and on a level that nobody in his life knows him. And he feels so exposed and not horny anymore. So he's not having the horny override. There isn't a hard dick that's cancelling out all those shame feelings. And so I get him out of drag, and he just packs up his shit and bolts. Right? I'm like, all right, bye. Not, don't go ahead and see you, bye. Right? And he forgot, he left behind in the bathroom his watch, which was an expensive watch, uh, and his panties. Which apparently he dropped, while he's stuffing everything into his bag. And I waited a couple of days and then I called his phone number and this is of course pre-internet, so it's pre-everybody has their own fucking phone that they carry everywhere. So his phone is a group phone at his apartment or his frat, I have no idea. So I call his phone number and I get somebody who goes and gets him and he comes to the phone and I say, I just, I'm calling, you know, because you left your, and before I can say, very expensive watch and Mm, very cheap and <laughs> not very nice panties, I have to say, as a drag queen. Uh, he says, Please don't call me again. I'm never going to do that again. And I felt so terrible. Right? Because I just felt like I was the instrument of his sort of shame that maybe we'd gone too fast, too far, but everything, every step. Because I'm just so like processy. I, I am. <laughs> As a a lesbian friend recently told me, I am half a lesbian. Tara and I together are one lesbian. (laughs) So I want to reassure you that everything was sort of discussed and nothing went out of control, and he had consented to every step of every thing we did, but he was obviously still, like, reeling from being known the way I now knew him, in a way no one else did. And he just told me, no, don't call me. And I couldn't tell him that I had this very expensive watch, which I still have because I'm a pack rat, and this, these very cheap threadbare panties, which I still have, because I am a pack rat. And I got them out, and I meant to bring them here tonight, and I forgot. So forgive me, because I wanted to, like, produce them here at the end. But trust me, they're at home. And I think about this kid to this day. That was 22-ish years ago. He is 40 now. He could be in this room with us. And I would love nothing more than to meet him again. Not to have heterosexual intercourse with him again. <laughs> but just to say, you, you have these experiences in your life where you meet somebody at this point in their sexual development or their social development or political anything, and you have the, this sort of like incendiary sort of explosive moment with them, and then they go careening off in, an, in some other direction, and so do you. And you just want to circle back at some point later in life and say, what was going through your head and if something was wrong, I apologize, but I would really love to know who you were at that moment and who you are now, because I think I was, I played some important part in your sexual self-discovery, and I hope it was a positive thing, ultimately, even if it wasn't two days later when I tried to return your panties and your <laughs> Rolex. And so if he's out there, if he listens to this podcast because he's now a healthy, self-loving, shame racked kingster. Mail at (laughs) savagelove.net. Give me a buzz. Send me an email. Let's just have a convo. Thanks so much.
1: That's all for this week's classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.